Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan. I am running late. I am a mess, so let's not delay at all. Let's go ahead and introduce the guys. He is preparing his welcome back sign for Nicole Hardman. It says, go away. Sam Blecka is with us. What's going on, man? <laughs> I doubt my computer's good enough to pick up the sigh I just let out, but... uh Go away would be the nicest thing I could <laughs> write. Oh, my God. He wants to know if he can trade his job and a conditional seventh for a sixth-round pick to the Los Angeles Rams. Jacob Allen is out yet again. I am Sean Deegan, and I am late. So let's not delay at all. Let's get into our topics for the day. There is an awful lot to get to. So we're going to start as per usual, with the things going on in the NFL, and we'll dive into the Chiefs-centric things. First thing I want to talk about is we have a running back contract. Who would have thought we'd ever see the day in 2023 where a running back got an actual extension that makes some money? The Indianapolis Colts caved? I don't know. It seemed like the holdout for Jonathan Taylor worked because... He signed a three-year, $42 million extension with the Indianapolis Colts with $26.5 million guaranteed. This is from CBSSports.com. Article comes from Jordan Dejani, in case you want to go find that. Jonathan Taylor comes off the pup list, is active for the game, gets a new contract, and then all of the fantasy football world gets hacked off because Zach Moss takes all the carries. Let's start with Jonathan Taylor, though, and avoid the fantasy football talk. Uh, Sam, not, I think maybe what, at least I was expecting, I don't know about you, if you thought maybe that contract would come. It seems like the discussion we've had with running backs is, seems like it's a turn them and burn them uh, ideology for the NFL here of late. What does this mean for running backs in the NFL to you? What do you, where do you think we go from here now that Jonathan Taylor is is the first domino to drop and has a new contract. Uh, firstly, yeah, so I did never th- – I never thought he would not get paid. I just didn't think it would ever be with the Colts. Um, I thought that relationship was just broken beyond belief um, with all that went on this offseason. Uh, do you know – did that make him the highest paid running back in the NFL right now? I'm assuming it did. No, actually, um, hang on one second. Um, I did see this earlier. I don't think it made him the highest paid in the NFL. I think it's technically third. Third. Probably um, CMC. Yeah, I think, hang on. Ryan back over the cap. Here we go. Yeah, so Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara are both ahead of him. Um, but he is third on average per year as well as total guaranteed. CMC is at the top. His total value of the contract is $16 million a year uh, with $36.3 million guaranteed. Alvin Kamara second with a much longer contract that running backs are going to get going forward. Ends up with $75 million total, $15 million per $34.3 million guaranteed. And then you have Jonathan Taylor after that. Okay. So I, I, I think this will though he's not the highest paid in the NFL, this probably sets, I would imagine, what the bar is as the, all right, guys, we're probably not going over this, but we can shoot for this level. 
I don't think like it's not going to be like a Chris Jones situation where it's like you see Aaron Donald. Defense tackles can get paid that high, so I expect to be paid that high. Like no one's going to look at CMC and be like, "Hey guys, CMC gets paid that. I want to get paid that too because he's just so much better than everybody else." So um, no, I think I think it's it's a good thing. Like good players are going to get paid eventually. Um, I, I don't think this changes a lot for your middle tier. Unfortunately, guys like Isaiah Pacheco is not is not benefiting from this contract unless Isaiah Pacheco goes crazy. Like he, he's not, it, but your stars, your Saquon, your Josh Jacobs, um, those type guys, it, it will ensure that they at least can get two to three year contracts with reasonable money worked in. Um, and it may not be on their current teams, but I think other teams will look at it and be like, yeah, they're probably worth it to an extent. When you see like how bad the Giants are without Saquon, and like how bad the Raiders are when Josh Jacobs not performing well, and lot so yeah, it's I think the it just it moves the conversation e- easier for running backs to get longer term not long term deals, but more than just one year prove it type deals uh, moving forward. Yeah, I'm with you. I think this is good news for everybody who's you know on a one-year contract and plays position of running back in that just knowing that the opportunity for a second contract is out there. Now, I think a lot of running backs are still going to be subjected to the one-year deal, you know, one-year, five million, one-year, three million, et cetera, et cetera. But I think this is the, the counter-argument to what we've seen out of somebody like Najee Harris, whereas like Najee Harris came out and had a fantastic rookie year and then has just never been the same. Right, he's never he hasn't gotten the same efficiency. He doesn't have the same volume. He can't, and that offense has suffered as a result. Versus Jonathan Taylor, who has been a stud when he's been out there, gets hurt and then you know has the holdout, but is such a talented athlete that you're willing to invest in him, knowing that he's still got enough in the tank to be good. I think you're right in that. I think this is probably the max in terms of a length of a contract that you could probably expect for a second year from a running back. I, I haven't seen the exact structure. I'm actually going to pull it up, see if it's on over the cap. So 2025 would be, looks like the earliest they could get out of this. So it's technically still like a one year deal. And then it looks like, at least according to over the cap, that they can cut him carry $5 million in dead money, but still save $10.4 million against the cap. I think those are going to be what the extensions look like. Now, it's, I think that's still good for the NFL, because if he performs like we expect Jonathan Taylor to perform when he's healthy, they're not going to want to cut him. And if you have a guy like Saquon, if you have someone obviously like CMC, who's been nothing but an absolute monster this year in the NFL, if you have guys like... Josh Jacobs coming up who show that when they're part of a competent offense, they can be super effective. This is good news. It offers at least mild security in terms of the total guaranteed dollars. Even if the the years don't fully equal like a three-year deal, I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm hopeful that this show, this continues for guys like Jameer Gibbs, Bijan Robinson in the future where they can they can lock up some long-term security. 
Next topic around the NFL, and this one is, is partially related to the Chiefs, and that is that Justin Jefferson, my, my bid for best wide receiver in the NFL, is headed to injured reserve. Uh, had a hamstring tweak. You can see the play if you're watching the Chiefs game. You saw the play where he kind of tries to come out of his break and his leg kind of gives a little bit. And they take him out of the game. He never comes back in. It's Again, it's late, late, late in the game. But a sad thing, especially when it's that late in the game and one of the best players in the world ends up getting hurt, goes to IR. He's out at least four games. We'll see what happens after that. That's not ideal if you are the Vikings. Like They've already had a few injuries so far this season. Your best player is now on injured reserve. You're what, one in four at this point on the year. Do you think, Sam, we're, we're on the verge of a fire sale? Because Kirk Cousins is in the last year of his deal. Jo- uh, Justin Jefferson is in the last year of his deal. You're, you just gave a contract extension to TJ Hawkinson. What do you think is in the future for the Vikings? Should they start to expect to see, if you're a Vikings fan or an NFL fan, to see some of these expiring pieces move? Do you think it's just a guy like Kirk Cousins? Or do you think maybe we see a bigger move with a guy like Jefferson. I I can't see. I mean, I, I can envision a world where it happens, but watching that game again, again, I, I don't watch the Vikings. Like I see them very rare highlights and just see the fantasy stuff, but it's a good team. And I don't want to dive too deep in, in, into the game itself yet, but it, it, it was a good team. Just kind of one of those snake bit ones where just like everything kind of went wrong. Just every little thing. Like, they've got some holes, obviously. And and I think Kirk Cousins, as much as the world fell in love with him with the quarterback show, and and he just seemed – he is a very competent quarterback. He's their limiting factor, it seems like. And I I think they will – I don't – I don't know if we'll see Justin Jefferson the rest of the year. Like, will it be a a tactical, okay, let's let's not – run you into the ground on a terrible team like we've seen lots of teams do. Let's try to go get Caleb Williams, Drake May, like one of these what look like good quarterbacks coming out this year and see if we can do what a lot of these other teams with rookie deals have done, give Justin Jefferson the the bag and see what they can do. So they, they definitely need – a lot of pieces to, to be a, a full competitor, but offensively they're, they look like a very explosive team that is just on a, on a throttle of Kirk Cousins. So I could, I could see Kirk Cousins gone, but I think they're going to hold a lot of those pieces. Yeah. I think Kirk Cousins is the most likely one to get moved just because he's a 34 year old running or 34 year old running back, 34 year old quarterback. And if you're the Vikings at this point, at one and four, and you've just lost your best player, you're at a position where now you could enter the the uh, Caleb Williams sweepstakes. I think that I agree with you that Justin Jefferson probably doesn't get seen again this year if he stays a Viking. I think if they really want to like load up on picks and just do a massive overhaul where they build around Will, uh, Williams or May, like you said, and and trust guys like Jordan Addison, TJ Hawkinson, and whomever else they decide to add. You know, TJ, T. Higgins is a free agent at the end of this year, one we've talked about. You know, they, they there will be options available to them 
to try and build a, a good team. If they really want to take that big swing, Justin Jefferson is a massive piece that you don't have to pay if you move him. I have a hard time seeing it, but if that's the route you wanted to go, I I think you might see Justin Jefferson again this season if they move him to a competitor. But I I would not be surprised at all if we started to see pieces like Kirk Cousins, Alexander Madison, Cam Akers, like all anything that's not tied down start to get moved. If they start, you know, loosening the knots on guys like Jefferson, then I think you you're looking at a team that's gunning for Caleb Williams. Last thing here before we dive into Chiefs, and this is really I, I put this on here as our, our transition piece to the Chiefs because folks, if you've listened for any length of time, you know we are just hammered dog crap at predictions. We are horrible. It's been kind of the, the most consistent thing about this show is that when we say something like a bold prediction at the end of the show, you can go to the casino, bet your house, and guarantee that you can pay that sucker off by the end of the game if you bet against what we said. However, going into this game, Sam Blecka, God bless you, dude, predicted that the Chiefs would hold Justin Jefferson, again, the guy I'd pick as the best wide receiver in the NFL to three catches and no more than 40 yards. I know he got hurt at the end of the game, but to that point, and we're talking deep into the fourth quarter, Justin Jefferson's stat line and what he ended up finishing with was three catches and 28 yards. We'll get more into like what that means as far as game, the game go, how the game goes, and like what it means about the defense and the corner group and all that jazz. But Sam, you took maybe the boldest prediction we've ever had on this show. Wide <coughs> stretch, and came out absolutely drilling the bullseye. And so I need to know. Did you turn into a psychic or have, you know, Gabriel the angel come down and deem you a prophet? What has happened that you crushed that prediction so hard? How did you get that right? Are you Nostradamus? See, I I wish I could play it up so well, Sean, but the problem is I ruined it for myself by not backing it completely. Like, I started my prediction by saying, this could be the worst prediction I've ever made. (laughs) Like, I had no belief in my own prediction. I was just like, I'm just going to throw this out there because, like, I could see it happening. I don't think it's going to because it's Justin Jefferson. But I was like, when you you text me, because, again, I I very rarely get to watch the games live, just kind of fall along. Like, when you texted me, I had just been following – uh, general stat lines, and I was like, just just stop, Sean. Just, I mean, I, this can't be real. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I the only my only regret is I didn't just come out and, and say it with my chest and make it really sound like I, as uh, as uh, Seth Kaiser would say, I know ball. Like, I mean. I'll, I'll say with my chest, you know ball, because uh, I would never have had the balls to say Justin Jefferson 
is going to go up against Legereus Sane and Trent McDuffie. Granted, two guys that I know we're all high on to, to different differing degrees, but all like, are going to hold the best wide receiver in football, who to this point has even held under 80 yards so far this year. Like, he's uh, been phenomenal. Everywhere. I think he had one game where he didn't have as many yards, but I think he had two or three touchdowns. In the <laughs> so he's so good. He's just so good. He's li- he's the definition of quarterback proof in that I don't care if it's a good quarterback like Kirk Cousins, if it's a bad quarterback like Zach Wilson, or it's an elite quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. To me, he's still the best, regardless of who's throwing to him. He'll still find a way to produce. So I I. I wanted to give a short topic, at least a short topic, just to allow you to bask in this glow. Because not only do we never get predictions right, and granted, they're called bold predictions for a reason. It's kind of to, you know, go out over your skis and say something crazy is going to happen. But I genuinely wondered how many beers you'd had to that point in the night when you said Justin Jefferson is going to have three catches and a max of 40 yards receiving. Honestly, probably two at that point, and I, I maybe should have checked to make sure they weren't spiked with something. But I, I, no, I went into it like the defense had been playing really well, and and we'd gone up against again some some legitimate wide receivers so far this year with DJ Moore, guys like that. Um, and this is one of those games where I was like Spags, I think he wants to. I kind of saw it going one of two ways. It was either they were going to shut him down or Justin Jefferson was going to make our cornerbacks look real stupid. And Spags just basically – I think it was more Sneed than anything, just said, I'm going to go hit you in your mouth and see how you respond to it. Got penalized for it a couple times, but, it I mean, it seemed to get in his head like – and, again, I i feel bad. Like, I, I look at Justin Jefferson on the sideline. The guy just looks tired. Like, he looks like he's so exhausted for playing for the Vikings and having Kirk Cousins as his quarterback. But I, I don't want to say he gave up, but, like, there were balls that you've seen him catch, you know he can catch, that I'm just like, yeah, he he didn't go all out with that one. And and maybe it just wasn't a good game for him. But, yeah, I I, I don't know. I, it was one of those where it was just like, I, I could see it with, with how the cornerbacks are playing right now. So, Well, you killed it, man. You killed it. And I, I, I do want to transition from there into, you know, just what you said, the cornerbacks. Because, like you said, Legereus Sneed, I think, played his best game as a Chief. As as a cover corner. Maybe there are better overall games where, like, tackles for a loss, sacks, interceptions. But as a pure cover corner, I think this is definitively Legereus Sneed's best game. If you follow anybody who, like, does all 22 film on Twitter... They show a lot of clips of Trent McDuffie covering Justin Jefferson from the slot. And Jefferson is a non-option for, for Kirk Cousins to throw to. Because McDuffie just has him blanketed. We were super hyped last year about the depth of, of this class. Specifically because of how guys like Joshua Williams and Jalen Watson had, had performed as rookies drafted on day three. Right, and that's and that's exciting because guys that you don't expect to perform perform very well. But and Legarius Sneed is one of those, right? He's a fourth round pick who's who's a day three pick who's developed into somebody who's very a very good player, maybe not elite, but a very good player. 
Trent McDuffie was one that we were all excited because he traded up, but we've also talked about his size and maybe how that's going to be limiting when you're playing, you know, bigger receivers. And while Justin Jefferson isn't, you know, Calvin Johnson, Megatron size, he's not small. And those two locked him up. And so the, the tweet that's going around with anybody who's, you know, Kansas City biased or Kansas City media is like, where do you rank the two cornerbacks in LeJarius Sneed, the, the cornerback tandem of LeJarius Sneed and uh, Trent McDuffie? And of course, like everybody who's like a Chiefs fan or a Chiefs homer is going to be like, oh, they're number one because they just locked up the best receiver in football. But I do want to ask maybe as a, a broader question to include those other guys is that where do you rank this Chiefs cornerback room? Because so far, they might be the strength of the team. And this is a defense that I think we all think is very good. And you, Sam, are much more bullish on to start the year than Jacob or I. They're good at all levels. And I still think the cornerbacks might be the best group of, of the entire unit. Where would you put this cornerback room as a total? Amongst you know the others in the NFL, knowing that there are some some real studs out there. And again, I I don't go through every roster and and break down the PFF grades of the cornerbacks, so I know exactly how good everyone is, and I watch all the games. But just off eyes, it, it's I would say it's probably overall like we have had better corners, player by player, in the Chiefs Chiefs defense before. We've never had a group like this that you can, like, plug and play the two guys that were super late-round picks, second-year players, in with the guys that that was a first-round pick, and the drop-off is not – like, it's it, it's obvious. Like, they're, he's, they're not as good as McDuffie, but, like, it's not that close. And when they replace Snead, it's like, I don't, I don't know – how much better Snead is than them? Like Snead is obviously. I think Snead has a lot of a lot of traits that these guys don't, and that's the cool thing is they all are a little bit different. We don't have a, a pattern perfect, like exactly the same. The only thing they have in common is they're all amazing tacklers. Like they do not miss tackles very often. But I, I would have to. You'd have to put it up in the top five groups in the NFL. I think um, we don't have like. There's weaknesses on all of them. Um, like I, I don't think I'm I'm as even after this performance, I'm not nearly as high on Snead as as you are, Sean. Or I think probably a lot of people. I like him a lot, but like he's I think he is more. He's definitely more replaceable than McDuffie is. I would say that. But I think you you look at it and it's it's a top five group as far as the corners. The the only issue I had in this game, and, and I know we're not going. Um, as much position by position breaking the game down. Um, but with defense, the only thing I look at are the secondary in our secondary is our safeties, not how, not their play, but how they're utilizing them. Because I think that's where I was a little nervous is they're almost getting too reliant on the cornerbacks, just playing outside that they're allowing the safeties to come down and cover your slots and your inside routes. And our, our safeties are not very good at that. Hence why Jordan Addison just said, hey, guys, pretty good football player. And our safeties just look kind of lost when they were trying to cover him. Yeah, if we're talking about corner specific, again, I am I am higher on Snead than I think you or Jacob are. 
but it's as a part of that is a lot of that is because of what he does outside of just being a pure cover corner, right? Like he's a, he's a phenomenal blitzer from the slot. He's an exceptional tackler from the cornerback position. He, he is a very, he's a good cover corner. At least I thought he was at least good. And now I might have to like, I'll probably wildly overreact. And he's just phenomenal because he covered Justin Jefferson part of the time. But I think he's a, a good cover corner. Um, who also is great in run support and, and just kind of does a little bit of everything, right? And that's kind of where I've leaned into I really love Snee. I think he's phenomenal, specifically for Spag's defense, too. I think he fits beautifully in this scheme. But, man, like to, to take Justin Jefferson out of a game completely makes me wonder like how good this can be. And I don't want to overreact because I'm definitely the one of the three of us that's gonna that would wildly swing that pendulum as hard as I could to the other side and go, this is the top two best cornerback room in the NFL. And maybe they just had a phenomenal game plan. But good lord, like Trent McDuffie and Legarius Sneed did a phenomenal job. And when you look at again, Jordan Addison had a very good game. There were not many plays down the field throughout this game for the Vikings receivers. The, the defense did a good job of keeping things in front of them. You know, TJ Hawkinson had five catches, but he, I think it was like 10 yards a catch, which is a first down. That's good, but it's not a Travis Kelsey line, right? It's not, it's not the traditional TJ Hawkinson line where it's five for 80 and a touchdown. That's, that's what you're worried about. That's when the Vikings are devastating is when all three of those receivers are hitting you up for big plays and you're and you're left wondering, oh my God, where's the ball going? And then you remember, oh yeah, Justin Jefferson is where the ball is always going to go first. And then you get beat over the top, and that's how Jefferson gets eight for one twenty and two touchdowns. I think the cornerback group did a terrific job of keeping things in front of them for the most part. There were two plays in particular that got away from them. Outside of that, I thought they just did a great job as a whole, and including Watson and Williams in that as well. I agree with you that I think the safeties got caught looking in the backfield a bit, right? Like there were a couple of times, like Jordan Addison's touchdown. Brian Cook is is looking in the backfield off play action, and that's how Addison gets behind him because McDuffie's playing a trail technique thinking that he's got safety help in the middle of the field, and all of a sudden he doesn't. But this corner group, if they play this well, like let's say they play the Bengals and Jamar, they hold Jamar Chase to four catches and, and 45 yards. Or 50 yards. You'll you'll have to gag me to stop me from saying it's the best corner group in the NFL. Like, and again, I don't want to say it yet because it's it's one game. There's a long way to go. But I mean, top seven, top five, if you want to be aggressive. I don't after this game, it doesn't feel super unreasonable. And again, i I'm sure that's a re, an overreaction as a, a Chiefs fan who sees things through red and gold glasses, but Man, that that was a phenomenal performance. And when they absolutely had to have one uh, against what has been best receiver in the NFL. I do want to ask about the front line here. Let's move things uh, a little closer to the trenches. Because this was this is another reason I think that I was so impressed with the cornerbacks. Because most of the time, the Chiefs were able to get into the backfield it's because Kirk Cousins had to hold the ball. Nobody was open. The Chiefs managed to get a rush late. 
and they hit him. I came up short on my my bold predictions. I predicted uh, 15 quarterback hits, quarterback hits and six sacks. They came up with three sacks and 12 quarterback hits. Uh, if you want to go to pro football reference, you can look at it. So it's not terrible. It's better than I normally do on bold predictions, but came up short. But I think most of that, if you're watching the game, like you look at that and you go, wow, they really got after, got after Kirk Cousins. It's like, yeah, they did, but a lot of that came – because he had to hold the ball. It wasn't It wasn't like we've seen to this point in the season where, like, Chris Jones is wreaking havoc. George Karloftis is really getting to push. You know, uh, Mike Dana is, is turning into an all-world three-tech pass rusher. It wasn't that. It was they were able to get to the quarterback late when he had to hold the ball. So I do want to ask, you know, was it, what did you take from that? Because the Vikings, I thought, did a terrific job of doubling Chris Jones throughout the game. So how do you feel about the pass rush when Chris Jones is being double teamed? Uh, didn't feel good. Like what I saw in that game was where a lot of the pressures came from were Spags' pressures, where his his uh, design blitz McDuffie did a great job on several, just being a, maybe a millisecond too uh, short from sacking Kirk Cousins a couple times, but. When it was just the four guys up front, there wasn't a lot to to hang your hat on. Um, it didn't look great, and obviously Chris Jones was the focal, and they they blocked him with one guy once, and they never tried that again. But the other guys, like this, is the kind of game where you you need to see Karlofta step up. Like again, I I don't expect Dana to step up. I expect Dana to have games where he just comes out and plays out of his skin, but that's never my expectation of him. Like he, he, I, I, I'm excited when it happens, but it's not like he has to do this or we can't do anything. Like Karloftis is kind of one of those guys. And like, I don't, I don't want to put that pressure on Felix yet because he's a rookie. And I think he is a more raw talent. He, he's a lot like George was last year. But yeah, I, I I think we're looking at it, and it's we got one game, baby, and then we get Charles Amenahue, <laughs> and I can't wait <laughs> because that it was not a not very awe inspiring, just the front four. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It, it it definitely was a step back from everything we'd seen to that point, for sure, and and it definitely showed that you know as excited as I am for. Felix, it's a solo rookie. And George Karloftis is a, a, a good number two when things are working for your number one. But if he has to be the number one, it's going to be matchup dependent, right? Like if it's the Bears, you're fine. If it's a team that has a good offense, you're, you might struggle a little bit to get pressure. And, and, that's, and it's good that we're finding this stuff out now because it, it's something that Maybe Spagnola can game plan for. Maybe getting Charles Charles Amenihu back really does just change your defense that much to where the rotation is is that much better. Time will tell, but it, it definitely made me think that okay, if Chris Jones is being double teamed that effectively, where they are able to get two bodies on him at all times, we're going to need to see on Yudike Osama really develop. We're going to need Charles Amenehue to be what we think he can be going into uh, the latter, the, the middle and the latter half of the season once he gets back. We need to see it. 
I'm optimistic. I have no reason to think it won't be that, you know, as, as time moves on. But it's definitely going to be something to watch going forward. Let's flip to the other side of the football and talk about the Chiefs' offense. They did manage to put up 27 points. We saw an absolute superhero effort by Travis Kelsey, who is, God bless him, man, just don't ever retire. We saw some really exciting things from some of the younger names on the wide receiver group, and I think that's where we'd like to start. Because I think this was one of the more encouraging games we've seen from Rashi Rice, for sure. And it's the most we've seen of Justin Ross, who had some great moments and a couple of drops that were left something to be desired. Which, again, hadn't really had that many reps, so I'm not that terribly surprised. But hopefully he'll be able to eliminate the negatives going forward. The reason I'm excited about this is because... We haven't seen anything else out of anybody else consistently. Like, Kadarius Tony, when he's on the field, is electric, but he's rarely on the field. And that's about it. So, I want to ask you, Sam, given, given what we saw in the Vikings game, and again, this is, this is not a, a call to action like, let's rip the Band-Aid off, let's, let's, uh, to quote Dick Vermeil, it's time to take the diapers off. It's not, it's not that. I don't want it to, to influence this one way or the other. But I am asking seriously, when is the time to eliminate the ramp-up period? When is it time for Ross and Rice just to get starters reps? Because right now they're not getting a very high snap percentage. And they're still producing in short spurts. So when do you think it's time to just, you know, take the take the reins off and, and let them run? Time to take the diapers off, boys. It doesn't make any sense to me with, with – and I, I understand the Chiefs' offense is, is historically hard for young – wide receivers to pick up and integrate into. But the the issues that I think we see with, with Rasheed Rice and even and Ross, because with again, he got four targets, two catches, two drops. 50% drop rate, not great. But Rasheed Rice is not, I mean, he's at like 17% this year, I think, drop rate. Like not a great, not gr- pretty bad. Yeah. But I he also is to lead the league in drops. I think I, I think it was the laboratory. I was listening uh, on the way home today um, on KCSN where I think he's seventh in the league in yards per route run, something around that late, like really high up. So they're two of – again, I think Ross is still a big question mark. I think we all think we know what – like we, we hope he still has that elite – athleticism and just talent that made him the electric wide receiver he was in college, but we, we don't know yet. We see flashes that catch on the sideline. Beautiful. Like not, I don't know if any of our, uh, any other wide receiver on our team can make that catch for like that he did, but we're, he's still a question mark, but I think we kind of have an idea what Rasheed Rice is. And in reality, what he is, he's kind of ta- not in the same way, but he plays the game a lot like Travis Kelsey. He does a lot of the similar things Travis does where he's kind of your zone eater. And what it feels like, cause his highest snap percentage in the game or the, the drive that he got the most snaps was when Travis Kelsey was out. So it was like, Oh, we can't use them both cause they do similar stuff. But yeah, I, I think it's time to, for rice specifically to go ahead and just say, okay, put them out there. Let's go. Like you can cycle in sky and Kadarius Tony. Those two can get the cycle rep, the cycle reps, but Rice and Justin Ross or Justin Watson, 
need to be out there every play because Justin Watson is the safety net. And man is, I don't care how much hate he gets. Like Pat trusts that man more than anything. And I'm fine with it at this point. And then MVS can go out and make cornerbacks look stupid on occasion. Cause if you didn't go back and watch his stiff arm on that guy, cause I honestly think the reason he didn't get further more yards in that game is cause he stiff armed him, stiff armed him and then looked back at him and was like, yeah, I did that, which allowed him to get tackled out of bounds. So, yeah, I, I, but no, I, I think in reality, it's your question. I think it's, it's time for, for Rice to go ahead and let's, let's stop the ramp up. Let's, let's start the real game time. Ross, he's still the question mark. And, and as much as I want to say, okay, let's just throw him out there. I also don't want him to cost very much because he's not going to be on contract for very much longer. And I'd like to resign him to more de- years. I am okay picking your spots for the next couple of games, but second half of the season, it's got to come. They, they got to be full go. Like this week, because this podcast drops Thursday and the Chiefs will play Thursday night against the Broncos. I'm fine if you want to run them out there for 80% of the snaps against the Broncos, because odds in their screw ups mattering against the Broncos are low. If you want to like be more careful against some of your, your tougher opponents like the Eagles, sure. I, I understand that. But at the same time, like I would like them to be ramped up enough to where when the, it's time to play the Eagles, you can rely on them. I think that's a bad time to be worried about, can we trust Rashi Rice to catch the football? So for me, I think it's, I'm, I'm slightly, and I do mean slightly, uh, uh, further back from you from that line of it's time to go right now, but I'm like, it's, it's going to be time to go soon. Like you've gotten job shadow enough. It's, it's time to put you on the headset and have someone, you know, a senior rep sit behind you to help you out. But sooner or later, you got to be on that headset alone. And if you can't tell, I've just worked corporate jobs my whole life. There you go. Well, I think the point you just made, John, that I, I hadn't even, I was thinking of more of a general mindset. I wasn't even thinking of the next game. It, these next couple games are even more reason to say, all right, take the Band-Aid off. And in reality, the Broncos are a great one because as garbage of a franchise as they are, they do have a really good cornerback in Patrick Sertan II. And that's a good set of competition to get your guys in and be like, okay, if you mess up, Pat can Pat can fix this one for you. But go out there and, and play against this guy for a while. So I, I think it, it – I think – the fact of what our next couple games are means even more that it's time to just say, let's go. Time, time to put the big boy pants on. The other reason I, I think this is important to get Ross and Rice up to speed, if you if you think Ross can be a consistent contributor and you're obviously hoping Rice is going to be the guy at receiver, is early on, and at different points through this season too, Like I, I, it's not something we've talked about a lot on this podcast. And I heard it described this way, and I, I wanted to ask you, specifically Sam and Jacob, if he was going to be here, but I'll ask Jacob another time when he's on the pod. But, like, how would you describe this Chiefs' offensive identity? Because it's been kind of clear-cut at different points through Mahomes' career, where it's like, we're going to throw the ball downfield. And then, you know, they struggle a little bit with that identity because the the deep ball is taken away, even when they have Tyreek Hill, and they kind of have to reinvent themselves. And then Tyreek Hill isn't here. 
And so they go out and get guys like Juju and they, they rely on Travis Kelsey and they, it's, we're going to chip away at you until you get lazy. And then I'm going to hit MVS over the top. Like it's, it's kind of an intermediate offense. This one feels like they would like to be more of what they were last season. And because of the drops and, and other problems with, with the offense, it hasn't quite hit. So at this point, how would you describe the offensive identity for the Chiefs? All right. So follow along with me, Sean. The offensive identity is Hook. Oh, go on. If we're getting so Hook, Hook references. Fantastic movie with Robin Williams. Oh, let's go. So our, our titular character, Robin Williams, as Peter Pan, is obviously Patrick Mahomes. The hero, the man who can do it all. Had to believe a little bit when he first came in, but you know, now believes fully in Andy Reid. The magic's there. Travis Kelsey's Rufio. I mean, obviously, like your your second. He was the leader when Alex Smith was it. Like he is the best, second best player on the team. And then you got the Lost Boys. They all can do something, but you don't know what. That's my analogy. Like they they fit they they seem like they should have a place, but they're lost. And it's like, and it honestly seems like Andy Reid being Tinkle, Tinkerbell hasn't sprinkled the magic on yet to make them all fly. This is the greatest analogy that's ever been made on this show. I, I was it. like, I I wanted like originally I was going to say Patrick Mahomes in the in the Island of the Lost Toys, but it's like they're not really like abandoned toys. They're all really good players. They just don't. They're not flying yet. <laughs> you got to get you got to get Peter to bring them all together, man. For sure. No, that's a great analogy. That is not how I thought this was going to go. So now <laughs> I feel wildly less creative than you. That was a great answer. <laughs> Bless it. That's phenomenal. Because yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I would have. I think my answer in a in a much less fun and less creative and intelligent way would have been. I'm not sure they have one yet. It seems like right now they're kind of leaning into smash mouth play action football with Isaiah Pacheco. Like they're willing to let him run, which is weird for an Andy Reid team. And then they're leaning on Travis Kelsey. As long as he's healthy, they're willing to throw him the ball if they can find him in space. Because the rest of it, like you said, is still being figured out. And it's it hasn't been easy. It's been kind of bumpy, in fact. So hopefully that Rashi Rice and Justin Ross can step into those roles and, and get some, some pixie dust sprinkled on them so that we can start sorting out some some responsibilities to the Lost Boys and, and let everyone feel like they've got a role to play. And then once I think you do that, it'll all come together. Because right now I'm with you. I don't know that there's a very clear cut. When we go to play the Chiefs, we know what to expect. Offensive identity. And not in the way of because they can do so many things. Right now it's because Patrick Mahomes is great. Travis Kelsey is great. And this offensive line has played some very good football outside of the Jets game. So I, I don't – but none of that really has blossomed in one specific way the way they has in the past. Where like 2018, Patrick Mahomes is slinging it downfield. In 2021, he's they're just chipping away at you when we and, and slowly moving the ball down the field to guys like Juju and Kelsey. I'm waiting for that thing to emerge that shows like, oh, this is this is who they're going to target in these situations. Also, side note, 
if anyone listening is or knows a graphic designer that can do a mashup poster of the Chiefs roster and hook with Andy Reid as Tinkle, Tinkerbell. Let's go. I will pay money for that. Oh, um, God. Please reach out to Sean on No Mahomes at Twitter, and we will be happily happy to pay for that mashup. God. Yes. Let's do it. Oh, my God. That would be phenomenal. Would pay money. Would pay money. Really just Andy Reid's Tinkerbell. Like, let's be honest. Honestly, yeah. Like if I can just if I have to pick one, that's the one I want. All right, last thing on the offense, then we'll dive into a quick preview and our final score and bold predictions here for for a Thursday night matchup with the Broncos. And that is our, our last topic revolves around Travis Kelsey because he, while his stat line was was very good and he played a phenomenal game, boy howdy did all of Chiefs Kingdom feel like they were had all of their oxygen just sucked out of their body when Travis Kelsey went down with what looked like a non-contact injury. And when you see something like that, when a player goes down like that, and there's not a hit, there's not something that obviously has, has caused the injury, everybody immediately looks to something that is severe. So non-contact injuries like your Achilles or a hamstring tear. Something along those lines. You tend to hear words like rupture when you think of non-contact injuries. And God bless Travis Kelsey. He managed to avoid something severe. And it sounds like the the report that came out uh, from Chiefs reporters and Chiefs Kingdom is that it was a low ankle sprain. So something that he can manage and, and hopefully play. However, you're playing on short rest after a game where he was highly targeted and heavily involved, even after the injury, you're playing against the Broncos on Thursday night. What What do you do in this situation? Because I think the knee-jerk reaction is, oh, let him play because it's the Broncos and, and they're terrible. But my my reaction is almost the other way. It's like, you know, I don't, I'd play him real, real sparingly if I had all because it's the Broncos and they're terrible. Sam, where do you where do you fall on this? Would you sit him completely? Would you play him? If so, how much? Where do you fall on Travis Kelsey's playing time against the Denver Broncos this Thursday? Trav is a – I think you have to label him as kind of a break class in case of emergency player this game. Like, I'm not not suiting him up. I want him out there because you know he'd be upset if he doesn't get a suit up. But I, I think – there. I don't see a reason – I cannot foresee a reason why we need to utilize him heavily, but I want don't necessarily want to rule the option out because at the end of the day, uh, I don't want to lose to the Broncos. Um, that streak has been going on for a very long time. Saw today uh, a list of things that were not invented yet or created or existed before the last time the uh, Broncos beat us. Things like AirPods, not a thing. Uh, Tom Holland is Spider-Man. Not a thing. Like, long list of things that just were not real. Fortnite, not a thing before last time Broncos beat us. That's the biggest thing in the world. So, yeah, it's uh, not using them. I don't want to use them a whole lot. Um, I think you, you, like I said, I'd like to see a lot of the young guys utilizing this game because, again, the Broncos (sighs) – one of those teams, they have good pieces along the defense. So it's a good game. Like, their linebackers are good. 
They have a very good cornerback, decent safeties. So I think it is a good game to get guys in and, and get time, but I don't want to utilize – I don't want to – at the same time, I don't want to risk our season because, let's be honest, without Travis, that is the season at this point with how our receivers are playing um, by trying to beat the Broncos. Kind of counterdicting myself, but – I'm with you. I think suit him up. I would I would probably play him early. I'd give him a few snaps early, get him warmed up. And then I am if I don't have to play him, I'm looking at third downs. Right? Second and long, maybe, third and long, definitely. Third and medium. I'm putting Kelsey out there to try and pick up the first down. If you get into the red zone, obviously put him out there. But I'm gonna try and, and keep him warm without overexposing him. I want to keep that ankle loose, but I don't want to put it in harm's way as much as possible. Because it's the Broncos, I feel like you can hopefully see other guys step up and into roles where they will produce at a high level for this game because of who they're playing against. And hopefully give Kelsey, maybe not the night off, but a, a relaxing, easy night. That would be the the ideal. I'm, I'm with you on limited, but not excluded. All right, let's wrap things up with our discussion about the Broncos and then our final score and bold predictions. How do you feel about this matchup, Sam? It seems like it's kind of been more of the same, another circus. You know, uh, (laughs) good old Sean Payton before the season started said that last year's Broncos team was one of the worst coaching jobs he'd ever seen. And then loses to the Jets and Nathaniel Hackett. It's just been phenomenal. Uh, he's already chewing out his quarterback on the sideline, which, you know, it's one game. And we've seen star players for the Chiefs get into it with our coaches on the sideline. It happens. So I don't think you want to take too much from it, except that this has been just kind of ongoing into last year. And so it's really easy to just kind of fall into the, the reading into things that it's still a dumpster fire. How do you feel about this matchup with the Broncos, knowing that, you know, again, short rest, but it is the Broncos? Um, and again, knock on all the wood, all of it. You got to feel pretty good going into this one. Um, as I mentioned, like the Broncos organization – the past couple of years has, has just been a dumpster fire and adding Russell Wilson to it was gasoline onto the dumpster file fire. Like I loved Russ in Seattle when he first came and I, I don't think there was anyone that could say they didn't like Russ when he got, when he first came into Seattle as a third round pick, then he got paid and he become, became some weird, arrogant, very awkward human being. And he just has a personality that I don't think meshes well with coaches because again, I'm sure he could go to, to some coaches and he'd get along really well. Sean Payton's not one of those coaches. Look at the quarterback he succeeded with for a long time. What was Drew Brees' personality? Kind of a paper bag. A very good quarterback but kind of a paper bag while he was in the Saints offense or Saints organization didn't cause problems. And Russ is just, I mean, 
again, outside looking in, like that, there's one consistent thing between last year and this year and Russell Wilson. And obviously it's not going well. So you got to feel pretty good about it. Again, they have pieces all over the team. Uh, good wide receivers, I, like Jacob has alluded to multiple times, they would be a fantastic trade candidate if they were not in our same division because I would love some of their wide receivers. They'd be great to to, to kind of poach from them, but that's not going to ever happen. Um, obviously, the running backs, Javon, is Javante, he went down last week. I don't think he actually got hurt, did he? Uh, he technically, yes. He got hurt. Um, I don't know how severe it is at this point. Uh, I probably should look that up before the game so I know what's going on. But uh, I don't know for sure where he's at. Um, it's He practiced in full today, recording this on Tuesday, October 10th. So, kind of like a injury, but practiced in full. Okay. So, but regardless, they still have, I mean, Samaj P. Ryan, who we have – extended experience with how annoying he can be and whatever is, I'm assuming, I think he's a rookie. This I, McLaughlin, I think is his name. Yeah. The uh, undrafted kid that came out of nowhere and seems to be pretty, pretty good. Um, or at least pretty good within what the Broncos offense is. Uh, and then their defense again, like I've, like I've alluded to, they have pretty good pieces along it. So it, it it's a, a broken team that, there should be no reason we don't take advantage of. Yeah, I'm with you. I It's long from the days of Peyton Manning and long from the days where this was a, a rivalry one way or the other. It doesn't seem like we've had a rivalry between the teams. It's either one team's beaten on them or the other one is. And for a long, long time, it's been the Chiefs beating on the Broncos. So I don't expect that to change. I am hopeful that this doesn't become a trap slash weird game. For the Chiefs, because it is it is one that while it is a divisional opponent, you're coming off of a, a tough win uh, against the Vikings, and they're not very good. And I, I even if it's division, anytime you're playing a bad team, it makes me a little nervous, even if it is somebody in your own division. Let's wrap things with our final score and bold predictions. Uh, Sam, I'm going to defer to you in all things because after this past week's bold prediction, uh, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to top that. Um, your final score was really you were one touchdown away from being pretty much dead on, 35-20 to 20, uh, Chiefs over the, the uh, Vikings was your prediction. So you were one score out. Like you were real close. Um what do you got for us this week? Final score and bold predictions. So apparently, Sean, our, the uh, formula for getting bold predictions correctly is just pick the craziest possible prediction, and apparently it works. So, you know, like Harrison Bupker kicks a 70-yard field goal. There you go. That, that's a bold prediction. It's probably going to happen now because they're a mile high. But that's not actually my bold prediction. <laughs> like, if it happens, cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to say... Went off uh, with defense last week. Let's do let's let's do Rasheed Rice a little shine. 120 yards, two touchdowns from Rasheed Rice. Ooh, that's cool. Again, just just the craziest. I mean, not going to happen, but hey, if it happens, awesome. Uh, score predictions. 
31 to 17. So I've been picking defense, I feel like, a lot here lately. So I'm going to try and pick up the other side of it. I'm going to say that Isaiah Pacheco has 150 yards total between rushing and receiving. Oh, okay. I was going to say, damn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, both. Both. Even still. Uh, 150 yards total. And I'm going to say he gets two touchdowns. And I'm going to say because of that, the Chiefs end up rolling the Broncos 35-14 to 14 in a Thursday night matchup where they have a pretty easy going game and then you get that kind of mini bye week. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for us tonight. We appreciate you joining us each and every week. Hopefully we get to talk about another Chiefs win after a, a long week, as it will take to get to the, the next Chiefs game. But So a chance to just enjoy some Sunday football after hopefully what will be a Chiefs win this Thursday night. Until next time, you all stay safe out there, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you.